Hello and welcome to the latest uh, episode of Irreligiosophy, the One True Podcast. Uh, continuing our uh, much-beloved and fan-requested guest month. And speaking of which, if we haven't said it lately, I would like to say, with the deepest of desires, fuck you all. Yeah, fuck all the fans. Yeah, fuck you guys. Every uh, single s- six of you. <laughs> and in fact, if you want to come over here, I'll fuck you in person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, for those of you who are joining us and never heard us before, um, this Fuck guest month, <laughs> this <laughs> guest month actually started when some of our fans complained about our interviewing skills, so we figured we needed a, a lot more practice, so here we are, interviewing for the whole entire month. Eat yeah, it. it! It became Fuck You Fans Month. So, anyway, um, uh, moving on. Here, here at Irreligiosophy, uh, we uh, have dedicated an entire podcast uh, to Kent Hovind's doctoral dissertation. Uh, and it actually uh, gave us an idea. We're going to offer uh, an honorary PhD of Irreligiosophy. It's going to be a PH.IRR. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I think that's wonderful news. However, we're not just going to give it away for free. We are going to expect you to write your dissertation. And not only that, but uh, we're going to help you out with the first sentence. Yeah, um, your dissertation can be on anything you want. I don't care how long it is. The first sentence has to be, hello, my name is, and then say your name. (laughs) Yes, uh, Kent Hovind would be proud. And at that point, you would be able to hang up your Ph.D., and know that it carries the same weight as Kent Hovind's. Absolutely, we're guaranteed to be worth exactly the same <laughs> as Kent Hovind's education. Uh, uh, and this, you know, all this can be had for uh, one dollar ninety nine cents. Yes, we will send out your little PhD uh, <laughs> along <laughs> along with posting your dissertation up on the web on our site. And those who we deem having the best dissertations will receive the new irreligiosity bumper stickers we've received. Oh, that's wow! That's mighty generous of you, Layton. Give away our bumper stickers. I'm keeping one for myself. You can have one. What the fuck are we going to do with the rest? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a PhD. It's a PHIRR. It's a PH ear. Same diff. Uh, anybody can get a PhD these days. Well, just give us your mailing address, and we'll send you an authentic PHIRR doctorate of irreligiosity. <laughs> and we expect these dissertations to be good, otherwise, uh, you're going to fail our class. I don't care if the dissertation's good, I just want it to uh, start with Hello, my name is. Oh, fuck that. You just want the buck 99. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's part. That's definitely part of it. You cannot get this. Isn't for free here. We're offering a service. <laughs> I don't know what kind of service or if you should be paying for it, but uh, there it is. <laughs> All right, moving on. So, uh, really excited about this one for our 69th episode. We got to add someone special, so uh, we somehow got uh, little-known blogger PZ Myers to come on. Yeah, I'm easy. Come on. <laughs> 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 well, I haven't put that easy to the test yet, but I'm sure I'll fly over there one day. So, okay. PZ, we're, we're a, um, a relatively unknown uh, atheist podcasting slash blog slash gay couple. Isn't that right, Layton? Only when the penguins are concerned. <laughs> 
You probably haven't heard of us before I emailed you. I bet that's that's my guess. Oh, I, I hate to say it, but you're right. No, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's okay, because half of us, at least, barely know you. The only reason why I know anything about you is because Charlie uh, uh, visits Ferengula quite often. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, we even talked about me doing any research, but it's much more fun to me refer, for me to remain in the dark, so I know nothing about you. Leighton has <laughs> no idea about the skeptical movement in general. Pretty much. He's sort of the color man of the podcast. <laughs> well, everyone needs a token colored man. <laughs> Where we're coming from, basically, we're former Mormons who grew up in Utah, uh, now atheists, and we run a little anti-religion podcast. So you may uh, receive four or five more hits on your blog when we link. Oh boy, and you're gonna you're gonna tell the Mormon missionaries about them, and somebody will come knocking at my door too, right? I might. Um, if we have your address, we can probably send it to a local missionary couple, and they'll come over and do some <laughs> proselytizing. Oh, I've visited the Mormon temple a few times, and there's always that little guest book, and I always take care to put a fake name and address. In there. <laughs> you actually taught at the University of Utah, isn't that right? I was a postdoc at the University of Utah. So Wait, all I did there was research. I didn't have to do any teaching. It was it was wonderful. Gotcha. What year was that? Where, when were you there? Uh, let me think. That was 1987 to 93. So that overlaps me a little bit. I was pre-med at the University of Utah from 90 to 94, but you didn't do any teaching at all. That's right. You would We would not have intersected at all. No. What was your research on? I was doing work on uh, neurodevelopment in grasshoppers. So I was working with Mike Bastiani in the biology department, taking apart little grasshopper embryos and asking how they wired their nervous systems together. That sounds excruciatingly boring. No, it was very exciting. I loved it. it was great stuff. Yeah. How many now years? Now I know what to get you for your birthday. We'll just send up a lot of grasshoppers. Grasshopper embryos, Layton. Yes, I need the embryos. I don't care about the adults. <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do to breed with some grasshoppers. Then. No. PZ, you, were you uh, raised religious? I know you're a fire-breathing atheist, new atheist now, but were you uh, raised religious? That's a that's a complicated one to answer. You know, if you if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would say, yeah, I I was raised in the Lutheran Church, and went to Sunday school. I was in the choir. I went through confirmation up until the last minute when I bailed out. Uh, and I, I once upon a time I would have said, yeah, I I was raised religious. But then I've talked to many other people who were really raised religious. And I, I, I feel like I can't in good conscience say it anymore. I, I went through all those rituals and so forth uh, as a formality. I never really believed. So I, I can't really say that I can't really say that I was ever a Christian. You know, when, when I went through confirmation and discovered what Christianity actually involved and what they expected me to believe, that's when I gave up on it. How old were you? At, uh, when does confirmation take place? Uh, that was when I was 13 or 14 years old. So pretty early, and you bailed out but, on that. But I, I got to say, you know, it, it wasn't like um, I went to confirmation class and I woke up and I said, "Hey, I'm an atheist." No, it wasn't anything like that. It was more of a gradual sort of process where I realized that no, I don't believe in this Christianity stuff, but maybe there is something out there. And it took a couple of years of thinking about it and reading about it before I decided, no, there's there's no reason to believe in any god at all. Now, why didn't well, your parents force you to go through confirmation? What's wrong with them? <laughs> What's right with them, you mean? 
I'm oh, sure yeah. had there been a similar Mormon style. I mean, I you know in Mormonism you get two versions of the priesthood: a lesser version and a, and a greater version. Uh, what is that, Layton? At twelve and and seventeen or eighteen? Uh, well, you get the uh, the lesser at twelve and the greater at eighteen or nineteen, depending on when you go on a mission. Now, the difference between I guess PZ's parents and anyone else's, or while well, anybody in the LDS Church is, they actually have something called the Boys Ranch, where they will send off little Mormon boys and girls <laughs> if they aren't uh, following the right path, and it's basically like a work camp. So, PZ, you're lucky. Oh yeah, no, I agree. You know that, that's why I say I, I can't, in good conscience, say that I was I was raised deep in the faith. I certainly wasn't, and and my parents, you know, when I said no, I'm not going to confirmation anymore. You know, they just kind of shrugged and said, okay. They weren't disappointed matter, at all. No, not at all. And and for that matter, when I went and talked to the pastor at my church and said, you know, I don't really believe this stuff. I'm, I'm going to leave. He said, huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> I like Lutherans now. Yes, it was well. Not all Lutherans are that way. This was a liberal Lutheran church, evangelical Lutheran Church of America sort of thing. Uh, there are some fanatically conservative, nasty Lutheran churches out there as well. But no, this was this this was a Lutheranism in the Scandinavian style. It was a very Scandinavian church, and you know, in Scandinavia, they really don't care. It's the same with this church. It was. Most adults went there because they served wheat coffee on Sunday morning and they gossip and talk and you know, that was that was the appeal of religion to them. Maybe you were just a really bad Lutheran and the pastor thought Maybe oh, they were glad to see you. Thank girl. God. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. My aunt, my prayers been answered. Be. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, a while back I discovered that the Lutheran church has these formal sorts of procedures that you can go through to get yourself off the rolls to actually be you know literally removed from their list of, of Lutherans. And I contacted the pastor of my old church and said, I would like to, you know, I, I, I fill out these forms that you're supposed to do. And I said, okay, get me off the, off the rolls. And, and they said, uh, we can't because we've lost you. We don't have any record of you ever being in our church. <laughs> so I, just... I feel like I've been wiped out of their memory. My they brain... said, records, we don't care enough to keep any records. Yeah, that's God telling you that he didn't like you either. <laughs> so I was, I was retroactively wiped from the rolls, and, and they pretend I never existed. So you um, you decided you were, were... Did you move into... A lot of people move into deism or agnosticism. Did you decide, was it an active decision you made, that you were an atheist pretty early? No. I'm, I'm, I can't say it was that either. It was more like, oh, how to, how to explain it. Uh, I, I decided that I wasn't a Christian, but I still felt those vaguely spiritual sorts of things, but I didn't act on them. I was more interested in science. So science is what consumed me from that point on, and that's all I paid attention to. Yeah, it's kind of hard to maintain a, a even a belief, I guess some vague sort of spiritual belief if you're the higher you go up through the scientific ladders. I mean, it's possible. It just becomes less likely. Yes, because what science does is it replaces those feelings. You know, that uh, who needs ritual when you've got lab work to do? It's much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> when you've got something you can actually see and study and uh, yeah, find results right. from. Yeah, yeah, and, and furthermore, you know, the, the spiritual sense, that, that feeling of awe at something out there greater than yourself and so forth, uh, you still feel that, but now you see it as a really cool question we should try and answer someday. Not, 
this vague numinousness or whatever they call it, uh, it, it's, it's, it stops being this awesome ignorance in your mind. It becomes something you don't know, but boy, it'd be cool to test that. Now, you are certainly no stranger to controversies. Your blog's been, uh, you yourself and your blog's been involved in quite a few of them. Um, what? No. <laughs> I don't know. Charlie was telling me you, about you sticking a nail through a wafer. I mean, that entertained me. Yes, but it's such a trivial thing. You know, that, that, that should not be controversial when you desecrate a communion wafer. I mean, it's just a piece of bread. Uh, <laughs> what, what ought to be really controversial, what people ought to be really baffled by, is that every Sunday a bunch of people go into church and they believe that their cracker is Jesus, their God, and they worship it. Isn't that bizarre? Why do people do that? that that's where the controversy is. It's millions of, people, of Catholics all around the world who do this kind of nonsense. What got me about that is, is you had uh, said on your blog you got tons and tons of emails on that. And, you know, please, please don't hurt my sweet Lord and Savior Jesus. Oh, don't make God. him suffer. And the, where they eat them. They, wait, they, wait, wait. They yeah, eat they're, they're eating Jesus. How are you hurting <laughs> him by weak. sticking I mean, what, what's better, stabbing him or slowly digesting him? <laughs> it's like Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi. Obviously, Jesus is a masochist, and all he dreams of is that sweet, sweet digestion. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so what I was doing is de depriving him of release. To be fair, you don't know what body part that was that you pierced. It could have been his nose, it could have been the holy urethra of Jesus, and now he can't pee. Oh, that sounds so tasteless. You could have and given yeah. Jesus the Prince Albert and been completely unaware of it. Maybe. You know, one of the things that, that I was thinking about doing with it is I put out this call for people to send me consecrated communion wafers, and, and I got hundreds of them. I got stacks and stacks of these things. And I was thinking, you know, I could sculpt this into a little statue. <laughs> <laughs> then God would strike it down with a lightning bolt like he did in Ohio. So, you know, it, it, you're oh. probably safer. Well, that was that was actually what I was thinking of doing, is sculpting it into a little sat statue and then saturating with lighter fluid and taking it out to the barbecue and setting it on fire. Oh, that would have been good. I definitely wouldn't have recommended eating it. Oh, no, no. Actually, I, I had several devout Catholics who were so mad at me for this that they said they were going to send me communion wafers too, only they were going to lace them with arsenic. So not, not a single one of those wafers passed these lips. I could not trust them. Even the ones that were from good old atheists, they'd often ob obtain them by letting the priest put it in their mouth and then just taking it out and putting it in a baggie. <laughs> so icky. No, I was not going to eat any of those things. Well, so that's, that's something I love, is you've got these devout Catholics following the happier Jesus and the one that's supposed to love everybody while slapping a fig tree, and yet they're lacing it with arsenic and threatening you. That that surely sounds like the way to go. Well, yes. But, of course, they were not actually lacing the consecrated wafers with arsenic because that would be like poisoning Jesus. Uh, they were taking the unconsecrated one, which, ones which were purely bread, and so it was okay to, to fill them with poison. I see. So it hasn't transmogrified into the blood and body of Jesus right. yet. But it does raise the interesting possibility of... Uh, you know, going in and taking one of these consecrated wafers and then putting arsenic on it, and then you're poisoning Jesus. I'm just wondering yeah. if you pour laxative on it, will the Jesus cracker start shitting itself? It depends on what part of the body it is. Well, if you got it concentrated enough, you just have to imagine that Jesus <laughs> up in heaven is now getting this dose of stuff. You know, the, the, the body part on earth, and all kinds of nasty things could be happening up there. This uh, whole thing started because a student had tried to exit one of these um, church campus 
things with a consecrated yes. wafer, and I guess some people did they tackled him or something, and he was going to get expelled. Well, they tried to wrestle, they tried to wrestle it out of his hand, uh, and and the weird thing is, you know, when I've, I've when I talked to him way back when, I got the impression he wasn't even an atheist. He considered himself a, a sort of vague, lapsed Catholic. Uh, what he was was something even worse. He was a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> And he was very upset that, that the university was investing money to carry out this mass on campus, because it was costing the university mo money to host this sort of thing. Uh, and, and that's really what bugged him about it. Was it a state-run university or a private university? Uh, yes, it was state-run. Uh, yeah, he might be right yeah. about that. Yeah. But all, all state universities have these little organizations, you know, like uh, University Christian Fellowship and so forth, and they do receive student fees. They get paid some money from uh, that, that are taken from the students who attend. So there's a, a precedent for supporting that kind of thing in the universities. Well, you know, when you think about how much good religion is done around the world, it, it's hard to argue yeah, with yeah, that. The holy uh, wars, everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm not excusing it. I'm, I I would like to see them all kicked off of the campus. But, but if you're going to have free speech, you know you can't very well say, well, my university only allows atheists to speak out. We have to let them speak as well. Well, letting yeah, well, them speak is one thing, but actually paying them to have their own institution on there—that's a something completely different. Yeah, but it's, again, it's it's one of those things that's that's in a gray area because. Uh, there are these fees that are used to support student groups. They can do things, you know, like rent a van and go to some meeting or something. Uh, and it wouldn't be fair to say, well, the only groups that get supported are secular ones. Because yeah. there are a lot of active Christians on campus. The courts uh, have come down on the side, at least in, in terms of campaign contributions, uh, equating money with speech. So yeah. it would be a difficult road to hoe, I think, to get that. Right. It's, it's not a battle that's worth fighting. That's not right. something I want to really... And because not not only is it is it unlikely to succeed, but it's it's a very illiberal sort of idea to say we're going to we're going to prevent certain groups from being allowed to speak, no matter how stupid or ridiculous your beliefs are. Right. It's it's always better to address those kinds of free, free speech issues with more free speech and, yes. and do as I do and, and tell everyone how idiotic these Christian groups are. Now another one of the controversies you are actually. Um hooked into being in this expelled movie under false pretenses. Tell us about that. Along with several other people. It was good... <laughs> It was just PZ. He's <laughs> the only PZ. one who fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't bode well. They, well, they, what they did is, is the first person apparently that they called was Barbara Forrest, the philosopher of Louisiana, who's always been very active in, in the fight against creationism. And they called her up and they tried to get her to join this thing and, and she did the same thing that all of us did which is once we got the sentation we got on the web and we googled them and we looked for the production company and asked is this real uh, when Barbara Forrest did it and she googled them there was nothing it was clear that this was just some group of people that just thrown themselves together with some ulterior motive um, when they got around to calling me and, and Eugenie Scott and Richard Dawkins and a few other people uh, they had built this entire false front. They built this amazing website that was full of all these uh, wonderful independent films that they were putting together and made themselves look like a real, genuine production company that was all doing a whole bunch of projects. Uh, so we Googled it. We said, oh, well, these, these guys look serious. And it, it was, you know, it had a semi-serious name. The, the movie they said we were going to be interviewed for was called Crossroads, The Intersection of Science and Religion. And they said they were going to be addressing both sides fairly. Uh, so, yeah, we said, sure. It also helped that they paid us. <laughs> <laughs> that does help. And unfortunately, Leighton, it turned out to be Crossroads 2, the Britney Spears sequel. 
<laughs> no one knew. That would explain why my eyes are still burning and my ears <laughs> hurt. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was painful to watch actually when it did come out. I would like to volunteer to kick the asses of all the expelled guys because I've seen <laughs> that movie and that is just complete retardation in its finest. You know, um, I haven't seen it though, which is kind of weird. You right? You uh, you attempted to you you. Uh, Got on yeah. the web and followed all their procedures, and you were expelled from the movie line. That's but they, right. like, they had, they had a, one of those pre-screenings, you know, the ones where they <laughs> see the movie and then they, you know, they ask them questions and they change the ending or whatever to make it better for for the for the money purposes. Um, anyway, they they were really really stupid because uh, they scheduled a pre-screening for Minneapolis uh, the same week that the American Atheist was meeting in Minneapolis, and. All of these atheists saw this and signed up. So when I showed up to get in line, it was like a, f- a family reunion. I get in there, and there's all my buddies from the Minnesota Atheist Group. There's uh, the entire staff of the Richard Daw- Dawkins Foundation that was in town. They were there. It was just all atheists with a sprinkling of weird-looking religious families. You could just look at this line and, and tell them apart because they, they had such a, a, a different ambiance. Uh, so yeah, we got in line and they kicked me out. They let Richard Dawkins go in. They liked him better, I guess. Wait, wait, why? Why would they kick you out? Are you a loud, loud mouth, smart ass like Charlie and I? He's worse. Oh no! Worse. Come on, I'm, he's I'm worse a, than us. I'd like to see worse. that. You no, what is, is is that before this this pre screening, I had been leading an internet campaign where I was bad mouthing their movie because they they had they had an elaborate website with Ben Stein answering questions and they had. Uh, clips from it and everything we could tell this was pure crap uh, you know just just the fact that it was Ben Stein in short pants that they were using to <laughs> so anyway I'd, I'd been doing this stuff and I'd also been in some interviews on the radio various radios around the country and for instance I was in a Florida radio station uh, with one of the producers and I, I reduced him to incoherent yelling it was really fun uh, we, we were talking about the movie and 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 he, he essentially had to start yelling at me over the airwaves that don't listen to him. He's an atheist. And he'd be looking over again. He's an atheist. As if that were sufficient to completely discredit me, which of course with many people it was. It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, of course. We as an atheist, a gay has a better chance of getting into the White House than we do, so hey. Yes, and yes. yeah, you know, Thirty years ago, I would have said, "There's no way a black man would ever become president." But there he is. Okay. So yes, we're we're kind of the bottom of the barrel, but we'll get there eventually. Oh, so anyway, yeah. I, I I cultivated a little bit of animosity with the producer of the film, and it turned out, unfortunately, that this producer was the guy who was hosting the pre-screening in Minneapolis. Oh, so he knew. Oh, you. that's too bad. He spotted me. He saw me standing there in line, and he dispatched a couple of goons over to uh, tell me to get out of there. And and he didn't look very closely because the guy standing right next to me was Richard Dawkins, of course. Uh, <laughs> this had to be one of the worst PR moves uh, I think I've ever seen. Oh, it was ever. it was incompetent all the way through. You know, you got a movie called Expelled where you are claiming that the scientists are expelling a point of view from discussion, and what happens? A scientist gets in line, and they expel him from the movie. So it, 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 it was a total cluster botch. It was just awful. Uh, from, their, from their perspective, from, from our perspective, it was a godsend. I hate to oh, say sure. that. Yes, but yeah, it was it was really a wonderful opportunity. 
did you put up a fight as these goons were throwing you out? Because oh I no, thought... no, no, they they have a right to do that. I I, I said sure, I'll leave. Uh, the one thing I did is I as I walked back to let my walked over to let my family know that yeah I was getting kicked out of the movie, and also to let Richard Dawkins know who was kind of astonished at this. And they they dispatched a second goon to hasten me out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't have you talking. That's just bad. You, you actually yeah. got the better end of that stick. I think Richard Dawkins got the short end. He had to go yes. in and watch the movie. Oh, yes. We, we'd actually talked about this before we went in the movie, and, and we were thinking there were two alternatives, that that we would both get kicked out, and then, of course, it would be a marvelous PR move that would be to our benefit. Or we'd get to go in, and we'd, then we'd be able to review it critically as you know, informed viewers of the movie. And we never imagined that we would get both gifted to us at once, and there it was. <laughs> That's Jesus working in your corner. Absolutely. That must be it, or Satan. That's true. It could have been yeah. Satan, I suppose. It could have been, yeah. He's everywhere. So, uh, and you still haven't seen it, is that right? That's right. I've actually got the DVD <laughs> sitting here. Uh, <laughs> I so, wouldn't recommend it. It's horrible. Oh, no. It is painful to watch. Yeah, what happened is, is some nice fellow in the distribution end of things uh, said he got a whole bunch of these crappy expelled DVDs in and just kind of plucked one out of the bin and sent it to me. So I have, I have apparently stolen a copy of the DVD. <laughs> which is okay. Well, so you didn't have to pay for it and you didn't put any money in their coffers. That's, uh, that's, right. that's the best yes. way. Although what I, what I actually did is the day the movie came out on DVD, there was another release on DVD and I ran out and bought that one instead just to get its numbers up. It was, it was called <laughs> Zombie Strippers from Hell. Have you seen this movie? <laughs> no. Oh, I've heard about that movie. <laughs> it's almost as bad as Expelled. Really? So yeah. unless I'm completely plastered, I shouldn't go out and rent it. But look, if it's got zombie strippers, at least it's got that going for it. That's true. Yeah, but... so it's, it's, it's got a bunch of naked women in you know in this horrible, decaying flesh makeup. So. Yeah, zombie naked women versus Ben Stein's droning voice and short yeah, shorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I wanted to see naked zombie strippers, there's a strip club up in Ohio that uh, every year during Halloween they have a haunted house in the front of their strip club where the strippers dress up as zombies and such. The That's fact that awesome. You, the fact that you know that, Leighton, ought to be humiliating. Actually, that is from one of our fans who was talking to me about it. So kiss my ass. <laughs> All right. So we're gone. I think I think you ought to go up there on Halloween and do a podcast from. from the, yeah, I like this idea, but yeah, Charlie's we, wife probably wouldn't. We, <laughs> I might have to. She can, might she have, can color commentary. I might have to send Leighton on field assignment for that one. I am content with doing the work of irreligiosity no matter how hard it is. <laughs> uh, another controversy I wanted to go over was the framing controversy. This seems to have died down a little bit, although it rears its ugly head every once in a while. But basically, there are a couple of, I think it's headed by Matt Nisbet and Chris Mooney um, for the most part, yes. who want atheists to be nicer and, and respectful of religion and, and, and engage these people and communicate better. Is my brother uh, Sean involved in that movie? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm partially sympathetic to the uh, communication angle, although I think we have some very good scientific communicators right now, Dawkins among them, who apparently they don't like. Oh, um, they can't stand them, no. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's it's almost as if these, these guys haven't read his books. He has this 
kind of like you, PZ. He's got this persona that he's this fire-breathing atheist, and then you actually uh, read his books, and they seem quite reasonable. Oh, this this is true of all of us. I mean, you yeah. go go talk to A.C. Grayling, and you won't find a sweeter, more gentlemanly guy. And and he's just as much of a firebrand in writing as as Dawkins. Uh, but what we're doing, of course, is is we're we're doing this horrible thing of writing. Yes, right. Yes. Well, that's all right. All of Mississippi can't read what you're writing anyway, so... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so the other side thinks it's really unfair that we take advantage of the fact that we're literate to oppose them. <laughs> Every advantage toward the atheists and Satan. Yes, yeah. yes. So they want yeah, you... I, I believe, uh, was it Chris Mooney who wanted you to kind of step down and allow other atheists to uh, take up the mantle of... Uh, it's, it's a very peculiar thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not like I have some formal position. It's not like I've been elected to the chair <laughs> of the Noisy Atheist Committee. Uh, I'm, I'm just a guy with no formal position at all with respect to the atheist movement. I'm just writing my own thing. It, it, it's kind of bizarre for him to suggest that we ought to be a little quieter. Right. Well, I think that's kind of a rollback to the 50s where the white folk were telling the black guys, you know, calm down. Just, just oh, yes. uh, to you know, take it easy. Uh, eventually, things will probably work out for you, but you can't get uppity, and you, <laughs> you certainly can't that's rile right. up us white folk. <laughs> yeah, it's the wrong yes, move. You know, that's that's exactly it. That that uh, what's been happening the last ten years or so is that the atheist movement has taken off and it's advanced with great strides. And I think we can you know trace directly by correlation, if not actual having a clear-cut causal relationship, um, we can trace it directly to this, this new activism, these newly assertive atheists who are coming right out and, and saying in a very plain-spoken way that, that religion is, is folly, that we need to oppose it. And, and that's resonating with a lot of people, and it's working. So it's very strange when people like Chris Mooney come along and say, oh no, this isn't working. You've got to be quiet. You've got to sort of seduce them into following you. Uh, which simply isn't going to work. No, that, that's the Catholics and the small choir boys that need the seduction. I don't think atheists need that very much. Uh, well, you know, the Catholic thing is, is to set it up very hierarchically and authoritarian so they don't need to seduce. They just, just tell the little boy, come over here. Uh, let, me, let me part your hair. Yes. The, the threat Kneel of eternal damnation. <laughs> I've got no. a wafer for you. Now, I, I've got to. Uh, I've got to admit, I, I do agree with Mooney in one thing. And PZ, that's that's you were too harsh. Just because we on our our podcast talk about fingering Jesus and other such hooligan type nature, I think you need to step aside for the one true podcast to really shine. You know, I agree, PZ. <laughs> I think what you should do is just frame your mouth shut, and uh, uh -huh. we'll. We'll take over Feringula, uh, and you know, every maybe give us six or seven years, and then uh, you can get reelected back to Feringula. Doesn't that you sound reasonable? Right, right into the ground, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> when no one listens or, or, or hits Feringula anymore, then you can have it back. Yeah, yeah we'll oh, let you build it back up. Yeah. All right, how generous of you. But no, you're not getting your hands on it at all. <laughs> You know, I, I think that's why Mooney doesn't like you. You're selfish. You just won't allow <laughs> us to do anything. Exactly. Uh, um, you know, uh, your point is well taken. I think these people, they aren't mad that atheists are loud. 
they're um, they're not mad at the scientists. They're mad at the science, and the science isn't going to go away. The science tells them that there was no Adam and Eve, that the Earth is more than six thousand years old by several orders of magnitude. This stuff isn't going to go away. So whether you be nice about it and say, you know. You might want to really rethink your position on the Grand Canyon being carved by a global flood, or whether you just tell them how idiotic they are, they're not going to like you anymore. It's a failed premise. Oh, that's right. No, there's, there's, no, there's no point in being nice, because, you know, like you say, it's not going to change anything. Uh, and, and they've kind of relied on that for many, many years. Is, um, this whole framing thing is, is basically a strategy that plays into the hands of the religious people because that's what they want is the scientist or the scientists and the atheists to sit back and be quiet and not raise doubts in the minds of their congregations not demonstrate any strength and solidarity just look kind of weak and pathetic over there and and that will help them in their go their goal of world domination well it's kind of funny because i mean it's just like the lds church uh, if if you allow them a long enough string, they'll hang themselves. Take the Book of Mormon, for example. I was just reading an article in the newspaper. Yes, Charlie, I can read. And uh, basically what it was stating is in prior Book of Mormons, they actually stated that the descendants or the Lamanites written in the Book of Mormon are the descendants of the Native American people in South America, Mesoamerica, and North America. And in this article, they were stating that the, uh, the LDS Church is changing the wording to say that they are among the descendants of these Native American people. Yeah. And that all stems from the fact that they cannot find any genetic evidence of Israelite people coming over here and suddenly God cursing them with brown skin. Yes, yeah. The, all the genetic evidence is showing clearly that Native American populations are Asian in origin. So they came around from the other side, not the Palestine side. So yeah, <laughs> the, archaeologically... Mormonism is bullshit. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and if you give yes. any religion enough time, they will hang themselves. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also true of Christianity and Judaism, that you, when you read the Bible and you actually try and line it up with the archaeology, it doesn't work. The whole Bible is, is this propaganda for the Hebrews and nothing else. And they make up all kinds of, you know, they make up this amazing kingdom that they had thousands of years ago. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. You get around yeah. the time of 1000 BC where um, Prince David was supposed to have this massive, massive kingdom, and Solomon especially, and there's just nothing in the ground that testifies to that. Well, I mean, even the Exodus, what did you have, 600,000 men who were supposed to be marching out, and they can't find a single bit of evidence of that? Yeah, no Not trace. A trace, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they, they just made it all up because it made them sound really tough and good. I'm kind of interested in, in your, your time in Utah. Did you ever, uh, I mean, you have to be kind of confronted with the Mormon culture at that point. What, oh, yeah. uh, were, did you ever have any missionary discussions? Did, uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about your time in Utah. Oh, it, it, was, it was kind of weird because that was when we were having our kids. So our family was growing. And oh. I, I don't know if you've seen me, but I looked pretty ordinary, you know, short hair, I dressed up normally, you know, no no hippie stuff or anything. Uh, so kinda, I blended. I fit you, right in. You kind of um, look like Jesus, actually, PZ. <laughs> <laughs> you got the yeah, kind of... the long hair, didn't he? Come you on. kind of have the close-cropped beard. Um, yeah. You're really, really, really white, just like Jesus was. That's right. Um, yes, yeah, I course. guess if you grew out really long hair, I think you'd be a dead ringer. Uh-huh. 
Oh, sure. So anyway, I fit, I fit right <laughs> in with the culture there. And you know, the most common thing I was asked was what ward I was in. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, so everyone thought I was a Mormon, you know, and I'd be walking around with, with my little kids in tow. They were always asking my wife when the next one was due. And <laughs> we had at that point. We only had three, and we felt so yeah. pathetic compared to most of our neighbors who would have eight or ten kids. Right. Bizarre right there. A, a small Mormon family size is five. Mine was seven. Leighton, you had seven kids, and they adopted another, what, twelve? Actually, we had six kids in my family, and they adopted 13, so it brought gotcha. the kids up to 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Three was too much. <laughs> <laughs> Try having an entire football team as your brothers and sisters. <laughs> so I'm curious, how long, or how old were your kids before you actually moved out? I'm wondering what their whole experience is, because, I mean, I know mine growing up around here, you could not get away from the LDS faith. Right. Yeah, no, uh, my oldest was, you know, he was like early elementary school while we were there. So he's constantly exposed to it, and, and people are always, you know, all the little friends, he'd always invite him out to church. Sure. So, yeah, he'd, he'd come on us, hey, can I go to church with so-and-so? And we'd all just say, yeah, sure. And he'd go and be completely unimpressed. Um, they, they, were also, they were also constantly feeding him propaganda. You, if, you're, if you're over there, you must know about the Mormon comic books. Mormon comic books? You didn't? What? What kind of Mormons are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a very good Mormon, but Leighton was a pretty good Mormon. Unfortunately, he slept through most of church. Yeah, uh, I, I don't recall comic books. That might have woken me up just that, to yeah, read Yeah, that might have perked me up. Maybe, maybe they just hand them out to the Gentiles. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they probably... They might have them in, in primary, Leighton. I mean, that uh, they hang them out to, like, color or something like that. No, the, the, the kids were always coming home with these things. They, they would, because my kids were known to be Gentile, you know, they'd hand them these, these comic books and say, read this, and it would all be stories from the Book of Mormon. Oh. God damn it, I'm gypped. I didn't get any comic books growing up. <laughs> oh, you should have pretended to be a heathen. That's your problem. You were too thoroughly yeah. Mormon. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was the good Mormon sitting in the back with my chair leaned back, falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't need the comic books. You were already indoctrinated. <laughs> yeah, what what we got were those um, Mormon, um, at this point they were VHS, the videotapes, with the animated version of Lehi and Nephi. You remember those, oh, Leighton? God, my, my yeah. dad made me watch those for family yeah. home evening. I hate those <laughs> things. There. Uh, I'm pretty certain those violate the Geneva Convention. They're, uh, <laughs> they're horrible. Yes, oh, you, you remind me, family home evening. We didn't do that, so, you know. That, that's another mark against it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you're a heathen. You just don't understand the family togetherness. So, did yeah, your children... That that every night was family home evening. All right. Instead of once a week. <laughs> did your children then go on missions, I'm assuming, for the church? And... Oh, no, because they were never Mormons. They, never, <laughs> they were never swayed by this. Uh, and, of course, shortly after that, we moved to Philadelphia and got exposed to all that weirdness out there. Yeah, yeah. You, when you get into the Northeast, it's a lot of Catholic and, I guess, Protestant. Oh yeah. Stuff. So, of course, my kids, their best friends, were members of a charismatic church. Oh, those are interesting. Yes, they were, and they got invited <laughs> to go to that church too, and and they came back with eyes big and round. <laughs> there, and the family where they were with, they did that speaking in tongue stuff and flopping yeah. around the floor, right? Oh shit. <laughs> 
See, that's a lot more impressive than a Mormon church. All we got were, you know, old guys talking in front of us and singing hymns. It was really boring. Or people getting up and crying in front of everybody. God, help me here. I feel him so powerfully. That happened a lot. Oh, yeah, I once made this terrible mistake. We were living in Salt Lake City, so we had to go hear the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Oh, God, why? (laughs) It's the thing to do. You know, we didn't know (laughs) And so we went to the tabernacle, and, well, I went. My wife was sensible and stayed home, and I took the kids with me. And what happens when we go in there? They immediately say, well, you've got to go in the, into the children's room, the little viewing room. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a special little room with a big plate glass window in front of it, yep. and uh, it's to isolate all those crying kids, and it's I go right. in there. And I'm the only male adult, and it's, it's all these young blonde-haired women, you know, look, they look like they're about 17 or 18. They've all got a couple of babies with them and so forth. Yep. And yeah, that, um, very similar to church itself. The, the yeah. women will go out, they'll take their crying kid out, and they'll take them into a room, and they, they pipe, very helpfully, pipe in overhead the speaker uh, so you can exactly. hear it even though you're... <laughs> yeah, so, so we're in there, and I, I was already feeling kind of creepy because, you know, here I am, the only guy in there. And uh, then... Ezra Taft Benson makes an appearance. So he and was actually still walking at that point. I'm sure helped. He was, he was incredibly feeble. He, they, they, you know, they yeah. were helping him up to the front. Yeah. And he, he looked totally de- decrepit, like some kind of mummy that was creeping. <laughs> but this is what creeped me out the most, is all these young, blonde, attractive women with their babies start gushing and ooing and awing over him and talking about how how viral he looked and how tough and uh, so manly and you, you know these women are talking about him like he's Brad Pitt you can, you well, can practically he, hear these orgasms going off all over the room yeah yeah that's that's how that's how the Mormon church reacts to those in the higher levels it's it's completely flabbergasting I yes. can't believe you didn't feel it either PZ you were in the presence of a prophet of God yeah, all the wrinkled glory right there for you <laughs> well it was more like all these 18-year-old women orgasmically gushing. That, that I felt a little bit. And that was creepy, too, because they were much too young for me. But yeah, it is, it's just this bizarre attitude they have. And I could, not, I could not imagine why they were doing this. It is impressive that the amount of hero worship uh, that goes on um, in the rank and file to these, these um, old geezers who um, you know, can't put a critical thought together to save their life. But I, I really suspect too that they didn't—they didn't really feel this. It was the fact that they were in a room with another Mormon. Uh, you think they and were trying to convince got to themselves or, for your, your each fellow other. Mormon? You know, there's a little bit of rivalry over who's most enthusiastic for the hierarchy. Yeah, i.e., Glenn Beck and his uh, crying tantrums every once well, in a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, you don't know this, Layden, but PZ is a big fan of Glenn Beck. So just oh, I'm sorry to have uh, put down your hero, PZ. I didn't mean to. You really don't follow me, all, do you? <laughs> uh, I have, actually, I have no idea who you are beyond what Charlie tells me. I'm telling you, PZ, he knows nothing. <laughs> I am like a whatever. babe, nice and naked <laughs> for you. So... Uh. I guess uh, another. Uh, you've had several debates with creationists switching the subject, and have you decided now you're not going to do that anymore based on those experiences? Yeah, it was, it was a total waste of time. I mean, I, I just wrote about it that that you know, I, I've 
keep on getting these invitations from creationists to come battle them publicly and so forth. And they always say, well, you've got to do this or you're afraid. You know, the, the thing is, they're so stupid. They're just, they're just so <laughs> far gone. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, I did one this last fall with um, this guy named Jerry Bergman, and it was it was humiliating, not for me, but for him. I was sitting there feeling terrible for this this clown who was making an idiot of himself out there. That he didn't pay any attention to the subject of the debate. He just went on with this evangelical testimonial about how wonderful he is, and he starts making these outrageous claims about how the periodic table of the elements was irreducibly complex, and he knew all these teachers who had gotten fired for daring to teach periodic table, which made no sense at all. Uh, and you know, <laughs> That just sounds retarded. <laughs> Is that the one where you got so uh, frustrated that you had a, a nice, carefully compiled collection of notes, and you just threw them over your head? And- yeah, well, what can I do? I mean, the, the topic was, you know, should intelligent design be taught in the schools? <laughs> and, no. Right. And, but, there, you know, I, I sort of anticipated what kinds of arguments he would make because I've heard them so many times from other creationists. And I had a collection of notes on, you know, very good replies to the, all these sorts of things. And he never addressed the topic. He never talked about why intelligent design should be taught in the schools. And, and so I realized, you know, three-quarters of the way through that, that it was actually pointless to be well-prepared for this sort of thing. Uh, so I threw my notes away, uh, and, and of course he just he just kept babbling. I, I had creationists come up to me afterwards, and they were embarrassed. They said, "Yeah, you know, we're not all that stupid, right? <laughs> we just like our forerunners, and those we're going to put up to debate you to be that stupid." Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, what yeah. I've what I've been impressed by reading those accounts is the disingenuousness of these people. They would. They'd bring you on, they'd get absolutely crushed so bad on, on one of their own little Christian radio stations that they'd invite the guy back without you there so he could have his say, you know, unchallenged. Oh, yeah, they, they do that all the time. Now, of course, there, there's another style of creationist uh, who, who has a, a talk prepared on rails. They just, they've got, you know, they've got their little list of syllogisms and their little list of, of things that they're going to talk about, and, and they just charge in there and rattle these things off one after the other. Yeah. And that's also futile to engage them, because they're, they're not listening to you. They're not going to actually address anything you mention, yeah, the, because the, the, they're the, on track. The Kalam cosmological argument is a favorite of those types oh, of debaters. Oh, yes, yes. They've got this little set of arguments that are absolutely awful, but they yeah. present them with such supreme confidence and so smoothly, uh, where, you know, what they're really doing is they are sort of winning the debate, but they're winning it on rhetoric, not substance. And that's the other thing about debates is, is they reward strong rhetoric, you know, not any kind of clarity of thought. So, again, sure. it's pointless to engage in them. So you're not going to debate any creations. Basically, you're too afraid. No. <laughs> I, I've noticed a streak of yellow in him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. I'm, I'm so afraid that if I do it again, I'll end up vomiting at the lectern and I'll be humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> that probably wouldn't help in the debate, I think. Yeah. That might come off bad. Right. Um, you- I, I guess... Um, you know, intelligent design has also kind of wound down. It's had suffered a series of uh, courtroom setbacks. Uh, Kitz Miller versus Dover, I guess, being um, the biggest one. Uh, where, where would you put the current state of the controversy? I mean, there is no controversy, but the current state right. of their efforts and um, 
what what are they doing now? What's how come I haven't heard from Dembski or or Meyer or any of these guys in the last couple of years? You haven't. You haven't been paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Now someone calls him dumb. I like this. I mean, Meyer just put out Signature in the Cell, yes. um, but it, it's almost, there. It, it came to a resounding silence. No one's paying attention to these guys anymore. That's right. And Behe also came out with another book, uh, which made them very uncomfortable. The, the thing is that they've, they've... Oh, that's right. What is that, Edge of Evolution or something, where he said that... Uh, you know, evolution can explain some of this stuff, but you know, then you get into the probabilities that you know, no way evolution, you know, can reach that right. far. Yes, no. He he basically wrote a book in which he he made a specific claim. He said that that no uh, phenotypic mutation that would require more than two genetic mutations can ever occur. That the probabilities uh, are too low of these things happening at once. Uh, and what, and his his centerpiece of this whole argument was malaria, and the evolution of malarial resistance. And and this is why he met so much silence, is he basically comes right at the end of his book and he plainly says, and I I gotta give him credit for this, he plainly says that what this means is that malaria's resistance to our pesticides could not have evolved. Therefore, God has specifically gone in and granted these parasites this resistance. Therefore, God is a dick. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a unique theology. Um Yes. <laughs> Of course, he doesn't say God. You know, he says the intelligent designer, but an, uh, a being that could induce all these resistances all over the world in every bacterium, every parasite, everything. Uh, that's a that's a pretty potent designer. So you know, we we'd probably call such a being God if we actually met such a thing. So yeah, he's he's he made a very uncomfortable conclusion, and it's amazing. You know, once upon a time, Behe was was. Behe was the shit, right? He was the guy everyone was right. citing, irreducible complexity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they were very enthusiastic about him. They still keep on parroting these same lines from his book, from his first book. But after his second book, they said, oh, what? What have we invited in our midst? This right. is a really dangerous conclusion. This will make people unsympathetic. And it's met with silence. Uh, Signature in the Cell from Meyer, it's a really bad book, and it's really, really long. And I think it's it's died because it is the most boring book on the market. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was you know, meant to be their textbook, right? Um, it was supposed to be picked no, up this, by... No, they've got another book that's their textbook. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I've got a copy somewhere. But uh, no, they have, a, they have another textbook that was written by people like uh, Paul Nelson and so forth that plays this game where what it does is it... it it, it pretends to be showing both sides. So it shows, here's a controversy. Here is the biologist interpretation of the answer to this controversy, which turns out to actually be the creationist interpretation of the biologist interpretation of the answer. So it's completely <laughs> wrong. And then here's the creationist explanation. They do this over and over and over again. These paired descriptions, uh, and and it's 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 a horrible little book too. Really so, badly so, done. So as far as their wedge strategy, they're, they're abysmal failures in um, driving this wedge in between the... Oh, I yes. I no, they, the, they, they, you know, they, this stuff was written... They, they, they set aside up their, their wedge theory when in the 1990s, late 1990s. Yeah. Um, and in that document, they predicted that in five years there'd be all these papers uh, supporting intelligent design, and they have not materialized at all. They've missed all of their deadlines... And they've essentially failed in all of their objectives and are now changing tr course and, and struggling to smuggle propaganda into the public schools, which the Wedge document actually says they won't do. Oh, 
sure, right, because the wedge document yeah. expects that they're going to have some sort of scientific program active, which yes. never happened. Yes, and so right now they've got one thing. They've got the, the Discovery Institute has this thing called the Biologic Institute, which seems to be a couple of computers and a fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> seems like an institute to me. Yeah, that, that's their scientific program. They get that actually sounds people. like a better institute than Kent Hovind's uh, Patriot Bible University, where he got his PhD from. Well, not much better. <laughs> I don't think they had computers at Kent Hovind's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Kent had yeah. to borrow it uh, from his mother to write his thesis. That's true, on. which is easy to do when you're living in your mother's basement. So. <laughs> he had two kids. I'm well, sure he's still living there. So... <laughs> Anyway, they've got a, a, a couple computers. I know isn't living there. He's in jail. You know? He's in jail, yeah. He'll well, be in jail I know for he's, four I, years. At the time of his dissertation, jackasses. <laughs> 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 I can't believe we have PZ Myers on here and you're being a total dick to him. Well, I'm being a total dick to you, too. Is that any different God. than a normal day? Anyway. Even um, my fans are total dicks to me. It's basically <laughs> the In fact, people like it when you're dicks to them. Look how we're dickish to our fans and they keep coming back. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. It's true. It, it, it's that brutal honesty of the new atheists. Exactly. Uh, which, is, once which, again, is why you need to step down and let us take control of Frangula. I think it, it stems from our anger at God. I mean, uh, PZ, why are you so angry at God? That's my question. Did Jesus get drunk on the wine and run over your mother? What, where does this anger come from? I, I'm not angry at God. I'm really angry at the people who believe in this nonsense. <laughs> now, that's not true, PZ. I remember hearing a story when you were eight years old. You told your mother you believed, so deep down you must believe. He's just making no, this no, that's, that's the thing. I never told them my mother that I believed. <laughs> that was late. <laughs> Yeah, my mother, in fact, still brings that up to me, saying, I know you believe deep down because you told me when you were eight that you believed. I'm like, okay, Mom, sounds good. Yeah, it's oh. funny. When I told my mother I was an atheist, she cried. I mean, it was it was completely uh, uh, traumatic to her. Yeah. My mother burst into tears and said, that's why God put the rainbow up there so he would never flood the earth again. <laughs> And total, it's kind of sad, because I'm like, Mom, please be quiet. Total non sequitur, but okay, yeah. Mom. No, I, my, my mother said nothing. It was fine with her. And actually, a couple of years ago, when I was out in Seattle visiting, I was giving some talks there. I actually brought my mother to one of my talks, you know, these, these raging atheist talks. And she actually said it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to your mom. Yeah. You know, I uh, was... she, she does not say that she's an atheist. She, she does not want to talk about it. She actually avoids religion as, as an issue altogether. But, you know, she seemed to think it was okay that what I was doing. Well, that's I mean, a I... very curious question. Uh, where are your parents in the line of religion? I mean, your mother, of course, you just said doesn't talk about it. Is your father still strictly Lutheran? No, my father's dead. Oh. So... <laughs> nice, Leighton. Yeah, Way so to bring nice. up that painful memory. He's a good atheist now. <laughs> He has returned to the atheist fold. <laughs> oh, Lord. But, but even when he was alive, no, my father was a very irreverent person with a kind of black, bleak humor to him. Uh, so, no, it was it was never an issue. My father never once in my entire life went to church, except for things like funerals. You know, even Christmas, no, he was not going anywhere near church. Excellent. Uh, I know he was brought up in the Church of Christ Scientist, which is a very liberal church as well. But no member of my father's family was ever caught dead going into a church. Now, I know the new atheist position, typically, is that uh, they don't like moderates. I mean, that's the big difference between Sam Harris, for example, in, in his book. He, he attacked the moderate position. Um, 
I, I particularly, I mean, if as long as the people keep their religion, like say the Netherlands or Sweden, where they they obviously don't care. I mean, there was this one church they had on YouTube where he brought an atheist in and he gave the sermon. I think it was wonderful. Right. Um, as long as it's like secondary or, or you know, they're not using this as their basis to make political decisions. It's something that they. I think you said it in uh, Expelled. As long as they, you know, talk about it over knitting or something, you know, it's 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 not the primary focus of their lives. Yes, uh, they, that, that that that's just fine. But you know, uh, first of all, it's not that we don't like that we dislike moderates. We we like them as human beings. We even like fundamentalists as human beings. You know, they're. They're people. They they deserve some respect for being that. Uh, it's that we don't like their ideas. Would and, you include Kent Hovind in that? Because I'm not sure I would. Oh, man. <laughs> that that took a lot of thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually attended one of Kent Hovind's lectures. Did you? And and he has earned my eternal enmity because he gave a one-and-a-half-hour talk in which he used 700 PowerPoint slides, which I think is... is you know that that ought to be a sign of damnation right there. He's obviously evil to abuse PowerPoint. <laughs> um, Ninety minutes and seven hundred. Oh my yeah, god! It was like Jeez. click, 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 and, and almost a slide thing, a second. Yeah, he's really racing through these things. And and the other thing is that when I listen to him talk, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in his his talks in public where he's not being recorded that he does. Uh, he made a bunch of racist jokes about Jews and so forth that just left me stunned and had the whole audience rolling in the aisles laughing. Sure. Uh, it's, he's, a, he's, he's a dirty, nasty little bigot. <laughs> he is a horrible, horrible human being. Yes, he is. And he's, it occurs to me that you're kind of a masochist, BZ. I mean, first going to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and then going <laughs> and searching out Kent Hovind to listen to one of his talks. You're a masochist is what you are. Oh, yeah, and you know... It's even worse. When I was first dating my wife, uh, way back in the Middle Ages, uh, one you know our first set of dates is we went out every week to a different church. Oh my God, that is yeah. masochism. Yeah, we went checking out churches just to see what they were like. How um, did you marry this woman? I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, this was my idea, of course. So you know, it's it's not like she's religious and dragging me out to these things. Uh, she's <laughs> she's also an unbeliever, so it was no problem at all. But we, you know, we're, we both have scientific training, and when you've got that, when you're confronted with a weird phenomenon, you don't run away from it. You run towards it, and you start poking it with a stick, see what it does. And and so that's what we were doing. Is you have to explore these ideas. Yeah, that's the, actually true. When Charlie churches. and I both became atheists, we've discovered that religion is much more fascinating. Looking at it from the non-believer eye, isn't it? It's just such a weird thing. Uh, you can you can see these kind of this these commonalities between various religions, and you can see that you know things like like ritual and the belief in a being that's watching over them and cares about you and so forth. Uh, but when you look at the details, they're so different. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's um it's actually interesting once you take those glasses off and then actually sit down and read the Bible, and you're like, how could I have missed this stuff? That the the absolute jackassery in here that that God yes. is. Uh, ordering the um, wholesale slaughter of men, women, children, um, you know, suffocating these people, drowning them. Uh, one time they came back to Moses and said, hey, we spared the women and children. Moses gets all pissed off and said, no, God wanted you to kill all the male children, kill all the women who have known men, and leave the virgins for us. I mean, it's amazing oh, yeah. that you just... No, my, my favorite story in the book of Genesis is, is the one 
um, where they come upon a city and they 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 negotiate and and they say, okay, well, we will accept you and we will allow you to live and we'll tolerate you. All you have to do is is get circumcised. I love it. I love that yeah. story. Yes, and so all the men in the city gets they they willingly go out and get circumcised, and then the next day when they're all they're all huddled and crouched over the groins and, and weeping in pain, then two of the of the Hebrews come in and slaughter everybody. Yeah, <laughs> so they make a covenant with this village and then uh, yeah to totally back out. And the um, the father wasn't mad that they had killed everyone. His primary concern was, you guys are making me look bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. So have, have you read Robert Crumb's Genesis? I've got it. Um, one of our uh, fans, Mims Carter, who we named our Skunk Dick of the Week after, sent me a copy of it. Uh, yeah. It's really, really interesting. Oh, it is. It's, I, I think it's the greatest tool for atheism we've been handed in years. Is it's it's a fascinating book. It's accurate. You know, it's it's literally transcribing the book of Genesis and it's illustrating it. So it's entertaining to read. And you actually read every little story there, just fascinated with the detail. And yeah. and you read this thing, and you realize those Hebrews were evil people, and God was a nasty little bastard. And there's it's, it's no a, there's no two ways about it. I mean, there's there's yeah. no other conclusion you can come to. God is an absolute dick. Yes, and you know when when people keep accusing atheists of being immoral and nasty, I I just bring out the Book of Genesis now. Yeah. Say okay, yeah. how do you explain this? And a lot of people get angry and they say that's not in my Bible. Well, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's just like the rape scriptures where they tell you exactly how to get away with rape, and <laughs> people are just like, no, no, that couldn't be in there. You point them directly to it, and they're just like, yeah, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah, God's solution for rape was to have the guy marry his victim. That's yeah, and, fantastic. Right. Yeah. And then, then there, there are these two stories in the book of Genesis, and, and they're different people, but it's the same story where uh, some, you know, one of the patriarchs comes to a new city and he's got his wife with him, and he tells his wife, pretend to be my sister. Yeah, Abraham. And, and then basically he loans his wife out to the rulers for, you know, sex and fun and all this kind of stuff. And, and then the rulers discover, oh, you're married. Oh, I've done a terrible thing. And they all feel guilty and. and yeah, and he's still... Abraham's wife is in Pharaoh's harem, basically, and he's pressuring her to have sex with him and do all this stuff, and then all these plagues come, and God's punishing Pharaoh <laughs> when it's all <laughs> a result of Abraham's dishonesty. His treachery, yeah. It, it's it, ridiculous. The Bible is filled with this stuff, and yet with the rose-colored glasses, you just don't even see it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, these these are the revered stories that we tell our children in Sunday school. Sort of. Yeah, certainly. Don't don't see a rated R movie, but here, read this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's the other thing. When I was when I was young and you know still in the church, that and interested in sex, you know, the only book I had was the Bible. The Bible is right. full of juicy stuff. You know? Definitely, yeah. definitely. People are having sex right and left. Um, God right. uh, told one of his prophets to go marry a prostitute to teach Israel a lesson about whoring after other gods. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's a, it's a very disturbing version of sexuality because you know it's very misogynistic. It, it, it's it's worse than modern porn in many ways. You know, modern porn, of course, they're exploiting women, but here it's part of the culture that you treat women as prostitutes and all the men are pimps, and you can do whatever you want with women. You can sell them into slavery. You can rape them. Um, it's it's disgusting. But, yeah, porn yeah. doesn't claim to be sanctioned by the omnipotent, all-loving 
God of the universe, which the Bible right. does. So all of this behavior in there, unless it's explicitly punished, and a lot of the stuff obviously is in uh, what Iron Age, um, the Middle East. Mythology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that was their mores of the time, and and now you're telling us to that this is this is how people should be treated forever, basically, because this is what God wants you to do. Yeah, God God's is... all loving, so therefore this is how you treat women. Yes. And, you know, it, it wasn't rescued by the New Testament either. The New Testament is pretty vile as well. And, yeah, why read this book? Why did I have to read this book when I was a kid? It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of crazy stuff in the New Testament. Uh, it's nearly as crazy as the old. He's supposedly this kinder, gentler person, right, once he's in body form. But then when he dies, uh, you know, someone doesn't pay his full tithing, and uh, God strikes him down, you know. So Jesus goes up to heaven, and he's... Just as big as a bastard as he was uh, before he came down. Oh yeah, and and the general message of the New Testament is, you know, get rid of all your belongings, throw away everything, you know, turn yourself into this this, this pauper who will wander the streets, waiting for the end of the world, and of course the end of the world never comes. Sure. And so, quite apart from the um, sit down and shut up uh, women, if you have any questions, don't dare to ask in church. Wait till you get home, remain silent. And then to ask your husband. <laughs> I mean, that's literally <laughs> write all your questions down. And, and yeah. see, I agree to all of that. I think women should be treated like sure. this. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a good Christian. You were raised Mormon. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one last question. I, I apologize for taking so much time, but one last question. You are uh, you have a PhD in biology. Yes. Your specialty is evolutionary biology, or is it? Um, no, well, it's uh, Evo Devo, isn't it? Yeah, development primarily. Uh, with a secondary interest in evolution. So, uh, for those of us who still have to argue with our family on a daily basis, what would be the single most persuasive evidence uh, for evolution that you could give somebody? That's tricky. Yeah. Because, you know, what, what people think when they think of evolution is they think fossils. And, and fossils are cool and they're nice, but most of the evidence for evolution is molecular nowadays. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of things out there that, that it's hard to pick any one, but often what I do when talking to people is I bring up this whole thing about vitamin C. Uh, the vitamin C gene. That's a good yeah, one. there's there's this enzyme that makes vitamin C, and we don't have it, and that's why you get scurvy if you don't eat your citrus fruits and so forth. Yet when they start sequencing the genome, and they start looking around there, they can find it. We have a copy of that enzyme, only it's broken. It's got a defect in it. So it's, it's completely non-functional. And then the funny thing is, if you look in chimpanzees, if you look in gorillas, if you look in orangutans, they have the exact same broken gene. You know, what better evidence can there be that we're, we're all descended from a common ancestor? We carry this piece of garbage around with us for millions of years, generation after generation. It's exactly the same broken gene, and it's just kind of languishing there in our genome. It sure would be nice if we could fix it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why God would design a broken gene like that. Yes, and and why would we be sharing the exact same breakage <laughs> right. with a chimpanzee unless you know we inherited that from a common ancestor? Right, because guinea pigs, I think, are the only other mammals that uh, produce right. that need vitamin C, but it's knocked it's, out in a completely different area. Exactly. Of the gene. Yes. Yeah. So you know. There's multiple ways to break it. Why do we have the exact same breakage in the apes? That's actually not um, bad because if you try to talk about uh, pseudo genes and retroposons, they uh, they just start. It requires a mini education, I think. Yeah. In order to well, all that. of it does. Yeah, that, that um, 
that this is why they are so opposed to biological education is because if you actually understand how this stuff works, if you see the evidence and you can, can comprehend it, which requires a little bit of background, creationism looks so darn silly, and they know this. This is why they're out to destroy education all across the country. What is amazing to me is they don't really care how silly they look. I mean, the, that museum in Kentucky is a testament to uh, oh, yeah. ridiculousness. Um, they have a little picture where you can, you got a triceratops with a saddle on it where you can take a picture of you <laughs> riding on a triceratops, just like in the old days. Um, <laughs> right. Well, that was when you married your wife, PZ, so I mean, you should remember this. Well, he's got a picture of himself riding on the triceratops. Huh? Yes. <laughs> I have to get on that thing. You have to. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, the, the curious thing about the Creation Museum is, is you can tell that the creationists have have absorbed the authority of science. They know that science is the ultimate answer to everything, because they can't just simply say, "Well, you know, there was a flood, and the reason it happened was there was a miracle, and God just went poof." And because God is omnipotent, He can do anything. He could create this flood. They have to have all these pseudoscientific rationalizations for it. Now, uh, that, is, that is a very good point. And they actually they borrow wholesale all of the stuff from all the other museums. It's very nicely printed out. Uh, they got stuff side by side. And they'll often show the God's uh, argument for it and the scientific argument. And gosh darn it, that scientific argument looks so complex. But look how simple <laughs> the God <laughs> argument is. It must yeah. be true. And they, they adopt a lot of the terminology of science. Uh, there are several exhibits there where they actually endorse very rapid forms of evolution, you know, kinds of rapidity that is unsupportable scientifically because you can't just you just can't get that many generations and that many mutations, that many changes occurring so quickly. Um, so they, they've essentially, they've um, essentially um, stolen bits and pieces of science to reinforce it because it is no longer enough to say that God did it this way. Yeah, they'll say, um, you know, they'll, they'll go, they won't talk about species, they'll talk about kinds, because that's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. But after the flood, which apparently was about 4,400 years ago, uh, the one kind that was saved on the ark has to mutate into all these different uh, types within that kind, which, yes. uh, you know, you just, that that's evolution over uh, probably millions of years squished into the last couple thousand. Oh, yeah, that, that, for instance, they've got an exhibit of horse evolution, where they actually accept all the fossils. They actually admit that you know, things like Eohippus and all these other forms, Mesohippus and so forth, uh, were real and they existed, but it was variation within a kind. And, and what they have to do in order to, to, to justify this is they have to say, well, all this stuff that the scientists say occurred over 50 million years occurred over 4,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's basically my dad's argument where he comes back and says, well, I, I can accept evolution because I've seen some evidence but it needs the hand of God, and it, and it only happened in the last few thousand years. And you show him more evidence, and you want to beat your head against the wall, because my dad has a degree in geology. Oh, dear. Well, he, he got his degree in uh, zoology and geology from BYU. So oh. take that as, as you may. <laughs> I like PZ's telling, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, BYU actually has some pretty good programs there. It's like... Mormonism is so bizarre because they can, uh, you know, on one hand they'll accept all this science, all this evidence, and they'll say, okay, well, we're going to teach this, and that's just fine. But it's in contradiction to what they say in the Book of Mormon. 
it actually violates a whole bunch of the principles that they endorse there. Um, yet they, they will also accept that. So it's like they've got both things bouncing around in their head, yeah. and they've got they built up this this artificial wall in their brains, I think, so that they Mormons, don't cross. Mormons are very sensitive to their appearance and their PR because they've got this bizarre history of polygamy and uh, you know all these shady dealings from Joseph Smith, the Book of Abraham, and so they're already thought of as really really weird. And so I think uh, from the 70s onward, at least in BYU, they've started to teach evolution. They start to accept it. They want to become the Harvard of the West. And they'll sacrifice the small details like evolution and all this stuff um, in order to look good to the surrounding yes. communities. Yeah, so you don't see Mormons endorsing the kind of nonsense you see in the Creation Museum because that's too right. blatantly bizarre. Uh, Mormons are actually pretty cautious about what they'll support, and and although they they believe in a God creating the world and so forth, they'll never get pinned down in the specifics. They'll never say, "Well, we expect accept that the Earth was six thousand years old." Yeah, I'd say right. cautious publicly, but in in yeah. the private uh, in their private home, I, I hear that all the time. Well, you'll never hear an official spokesman of the LDS Church say that right. the Earth is six thousand years old. It'll never yeah. happen. Until the Mormons take over the world and dominate, right. everything, then they'll be able to. Do it. They're, yeah. just, they're just waiting. Yeah, they're branching. They've, they've been yeah. embarrassed and humiliated thoroughly before, and again uh, with this genetic evidence saying that no, you know, it's it's. It turns out Native Americans aren't Lamanites. They're not Hebrews. <laughs> they're actually Asian. <laughs> they're being embarrassed again. And uh, they, they just like to keep quiet about this stuff and not become public. I mean, with this Proposition 8 thing, they took pains to hide themselves from the process. Um, they told people in their volunteer organizations how to take steps to avoid appearing to be Mormon when they went door to door. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. They're very and, PR sensitive. Yes. The, and, and ultimately what it gets down to is all of these creationists, you know, Mormons as well, are ultimately ashamed of their beliefs yes. because they know it's not scientific. And, and they have partially adopted the attitude that, that science is, is an authority, that science is really good. So it puts them in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. My parents just will tell you that when science catches up to Mormonism, they will agree once more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So there you have All it. truth does come from God, so... Yeah. So we could probably, uh, unless you have anything else to say, we'll probably wind that up and just let you know, PZ, we'll be praying for your soul. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I want, is people to pray for me, because there's nothing more useless that they can do. <laughs> just like they're praying for the Gulf disaster to be... Uh, Averted. Taken care of in Louisiana, yeah. I guess. Oh, that would be that, that will really do the job. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Completely useless. Thanks for being on the show, PZ. We really appreciate it. it. It's been yeah. fun. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.